Elizabeth Bathory. I have a little hypothetical question for you guys. Long pork recipes on the internet. I don't know. I'm not really a huge exotic meat trier myself anyway. Again, from volunteers, nobody's been hurt, nobody's been killed, nobody's sick. Very, very delicious. But it's considered a delicacy. Long pork is human. When they die, as long as it's not diseased, the meat is totally healthy human flesh. Okay, well now we're talking. Am I get, I'm getting health benefits from this. Okay, yeah. Would you try some human meat? I'd eat some people. I definitely would. All right, yeah, absolutely. Trent, will you put it in your will that I could eat you with your day? <laughs> Have my funeral be like a Thanksgiving feast? I mean... I'm gonna, I'm gonna donate my body to cannibalism. <laughs> eat you. And it's meaty. Welcome to Speak All Evil, the podcast you were warned about, now on patreon.com forward slash speak all evil. I'm Trent. I'm here with Kevin, Kat, and Dave. Hey, guys. How's it going? Hello. Hey. I'm hungry. This week, meets meat. A man's got to eat. We're talking about cannibalism, cannibals chowing down. Ooh, Dave, what do you got over there? Looks good. Meat. Anonymous meat. <laughs> oh, wait, oh, is that that meat you get off the dark web and you don't know where it came from? Mm-hmm. Nice. I got to try some of that. Looks delightful. Human flesh eating in horror film and evil movies obviously goes back a very long time. There are a lot of subgenres within the cannibalism canon. Of course, the first thing that you think of are the old Italian exploitation movies, the old 70s cannibal stuff, the, the savage jungle savage type of thing. Cannibal Holocaust, stuff like that. I personally find that a little bit boring. Uh, then you have a sort of a similar problem as with the Outbreak movies that we talked about a few weeks back, because every zombie movie is a cannibalism movie. So I would separate out in anything having to do with zombies. I don't think really, for me, really counts as, as cannibalism. Then you also have a lot of movies that... The cannibalism is sort of ancillary. It's not really the point. Sure, there's some eating of flesh at some point in the movie. Somebody eats an eyeball or a finger or gets particularly desperate in whatever circumstantial situation, but it's not really the point. So I was looking for films that are squarely cannibalism with no qualifiers. And I uncovered what I believe is a hidden gem, a cult classic in the making right now. It is a cult classic for me. The 2009 film Offspring. Now this is a rental right now. I had actually never heard of this. I think a lot of people have never heard of this movie. It was based on a novel by Jack Ketchum, who wrote a series of books about this clan of cannibals that lives in the woods along the rocky coast of Maine and Canada. The first uh, book was called Off Season. Then he wrote a sequel called Offspring. That's what this movie is. And Jack Ketchum actually wrote the screenplay for this as well. There are even sequels to this, and hopefully we'll get into those in the future. But I love this movie. Big fan of this one. I think that, you know, Stephen King could eat his heart out <laughs> talking about master of horror in Maine. 
take a page, so to speak, from the work of Jack Ketchum. Mm. Kevin, had you seen Offspring before? I had seen this before. I had forgotten all about it because I hated it so much. Oh. And then when you asked about picking it, it took me a few... I actually had to look it up real quick, and I was like, oh, yes, I did watch this movie that looks like it was shot by Lifetime, just with a lot of really good gore. Um, I disagree. I, I... Jack Ketchum is a is a great author, was a great author, and he wrote some amazing books, and he almost has the same plague that Stephen King had for a while, where no one's really figured out how to adapt a Jack Ketchum novel like perfectly into film. I think The Girl Next Door comes close. I think Red is pretty close. You can't really count The Woman, because The Woman was sort of written just because Lucky McKee wanted to make a sequel to Offspring about the woman. So I almost wish that even as as badly as the movie is shot and acted, I almost wish that he had done off-season first because I'd like to know more of the history of the family. Just to interrupt real quick, sorry. Um, you said uh, only I'm only asking because you said you disagree, but you didn't say what you disagree with. So I'm curious what you're disagreeing with right now. The cult classic in the making. Or- okay. Uh, I see. You you disagree that it's a hidden gem. What I will give the movie is copious amounts of gore, and I do love the actress that plays the woman, Pollyanna McIntosh, who who would then reprises her role for for the next two movies in the in what would become a trilogy. And she actually made the third movie, Darling, which I have not seen yet. So she she acted in Offspring, starred in the woman, and then went on to make. The third film, Cat. I'm assuming you hadn't seen Offspring before. No, I hadn't. Um, I. You must be wowed. I Did it knock your socks off. <laughs> flabbergasted. <laughs> I was just like eyes wide, heart open, ready to roll. Uh, I didn't hate. I didn't hate it. I didn't think it was the greatest thing. There were some production issues. I just wanted to um, when they they shot this in Michigan, and the scene where they're showing like the cops like being all copy around their cars it's literally a picture of the state of michigan (laughs) it's like on the side (laughs) as they literally are going over a map of maine (laughs) they're like oh yeah you gotta go blah 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 and i'm like guys who was in charge of continuity on this film because i'd like to have a chat with them other than that I thought it was good. It, it went very quickly from like zero to 100. Like all of a sudden it was like, oh, all the main characters are in peril. But I thought the gore was really good. It was definitely an interesting dynamic, I think, of the weird uh, uh, cannibal family, wildling family. There's that weird like gimp guy who I didn't really understand what his purpose was until I understood what his purpose was. And that was interesting. Um, there are a lot of good characters, like that character that you definitely want to hate, that fucking Steven guy, right off the bat, driving that girl to Portland, quote unquote. Um, but yeah, I thought it was very gory. It did basically exactly what it was supposed to do, I think, for the kind of film it was. And so I didn't hate it. Would I watch it again? Maybe not. Not unless it was at like Dave's birthday party or wherever you guys watch all these weird movies at. You just opened the floodgates for me to uh, abuse you here on we go. birthday. <laughs> yeah, here, here we I, go. I'm by nature a very entitled person. Uh, and on my birthday, it's like completely amplified. I'm excited. So I'll take you up on that and we'll watch some crazy shit on my birthday. Um, so the offspring. It's just, the, it's just offspring. There's no the. Oh, 
I meant the the band. <laughs> Let's get into Who that. Who almost ruined this movie for me just by you know recognition uh, of the name. But Offspring, um, the origin story was interesting to me, and it was a lighthouse operator who either went mad or got sick or something. I didn't quite get that. But then I didn't understand how all the descendants of this lighthouse operator became so genetically primal. Um, one thing that I do firmly believe and agree with with this movie, with there's not many things, uh, is that like rural Maine people that have very primitive rituals and beliefs and be kind of left to their own devices off the grid. What I think of is, you know, maybe, you know, the guns and the four-wheelers. And uh, I believe that the further you take yourself from uh, socialization, the more you create your own ecosystem that is based on necessity and less on morality or whatever other people think or what other people are doing. I've, I've been experiencing this sort of thing uh, during quarantine a little bit. So I can kind of relate to that part of it. I thought that this looked like a extreme horror movie. And the, the production value uh, of extreme horror movies, I give a very liberal pass um, on how good it looks, how good the quality is, because they usually make up for that with other things, with, with extreme things. I thought this movie like almost went super extreme and I think that's the only thing that would have saved it for me if it was you know could have been kind of up there with the human centipede which also has kind of a poor production quality but I mean like you know kill the baby already kill the baby <laughs> that was one of the things that I, I that I overall thought it missed the mark is because it wasn't extreme enough for how cheap it was it did uh, get me halfway through I did like the, the metal teeth, there were like these, it reminded me almost of like a Wu-Tang vibe with these metal teeth. And they were, you know, these little kids had them in and they were eating. I also didn't understand uh, the family because there's there hardly any men. There was a few men, but it was mostly women and children that made up this tribe, if that's what you want to call them. So there was, you know, there was a whole bunch of things that to me were kind of like, well, you had a chance to make this great and you didn't. Um, when I found out that it was this, the prequel to The Woman, I, I liked the movie The Woman, which is slightly better in acting and production value, but it made me appreciate this more knowing that it was part of that story. And I would argue that the movie The Lighthouse Science. is the origin <laughs> movie oh. of these. <laughs> You're fond of me, lobster. I think that's the point they were getting at is that like this family from the 1800s, um, it was like a major storm that was coming. And I think what they were trying to get at is that the family almost fled into the forest to avoid this storm. And that's how this kind of came about. They just moved into the woods in the 1800s and somehow developed into cannibals. And they're, and they're obsessed with babies. <laughs> Trent, speaking of babies... Do you remember uh, when Days of Our Lives went kind of off the rails in like the late 80s and like Marlena got possessed by the devil? <laughs> no. It <laughs> almost reminded me of that production quality. It reminded me of like a Days of Our Lives episode Ooh. directed by Tom Savini. <laughs> well, you know, it, two things are interesting there. One, 
this has been a much kinder review than I expected from you after the bullying that's been going on. Dave's been bullying me for over a week about this movie, <laughs> pretty much nonstop, beating me down. Uh, secondly, and you guys, everyone has touched on this, one of the things that I like about the movie is that it's made in two, it was released anyway in 2009. It mm -hmm. looks like a 90s Lifetime movie, <laughs> for sure is what it looks like. You saw this on cable TV in the 90s on Sunday night. The production quality looks much older and more television than it is. And you're like, oh my God, what is this? But then it's so savage, so brutal. Like right away, even right up until when, you, when you're first seeing the cannibals, you're like, uh, look at these cannibals. They look like extras from Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome or something. They're wearing like <laughs> it, it, very cliche, old, low-budget looking cannibals. You're like, what is this? Yeah. But then like, whoa, baby in a bag, bloody stumps. There's a whole torso yeah. on the stove. Like it's so disgusting and brutal. So and they do mm -hmm. so they do kill a baby. I was actually gonna um Agree with Dave. There should have been more baby violence because there's like three babies yeah, right in this movie. Right off the bat, yeah. Uh, and but they, baby. yeah, right off the bat, baby in the bag. It's a clear bag. Uh, and clear you, bag ha too. you have, you uh, have. Uh, I'd like. To, your two minutes is up. I'd like to retort. <laughs> Go ahead. Are you That's not how time? this works anymore. <laughs> well, the thing I was disputing was not as much this movie being under attack. It was that you made the statement. There are no good cannibal horror movies. I've been looking at all of them, and I didn't find any. And we talked about The Platform the other day. I was arguing that that is one of the greatest cannibal movies. Raw, all of the Silence of the Lambs entries. Uh, I even like Green Inferno better than this. What? Uh, I even like Cannibal Holocaust better than this. Uh, well, I, I don't know. I, I, that's I, that's, not, first of all, I didn't I, say... I just disagreed with I, that I didn't statement. say... There's no good cannibal movies. Oh, I, I said that it's not the greatest category and that a lot of them are bad, and I, I disagree. I think that Silence of the Lambs, obviously a classic, but it's not a cannibalism movie. It's just like part of the story that this guy used to eat people. The movie's about Buffalo Bill and the relationship between Hannibal and the detective. It's not about flesh eating at all. Platform, not a cannibal movie. Green Inferno. Yes, it no, is. It's not a cannibal movie. Green Inferno is fine. It's like kind of funny. I, I mean, I kind of enjoyed it, but would I recommend that anyone go watch Green Inferno? No, I definitely wouldn't. Raw, we already talked about Raw. So, you know, again, That's I don't true. know yeah. what all these great cannibal movies that I, we're supposed to be talking about. Well, I would argue this is almost like a zombie movie because part of the thing about cannibal movies that's scary is that conscious decision to... To eat somebody, like you have to make that decision, and it's and that's what's scary about it because you compare it to yourself. These guys are so feral and out of it. They they weren't <laughs> speaking. They were almost like a zombie, like a rabbit. They're not zombies. Monster There's no the zombies woods. in the movie. There's no zombies, so it's not anything like the zombie. Yes, movie. to be fair, there are no zombies in the movie. Look, it it did a couple things well that Cap pointed out. Um, it's very non traditional in terms of the fate of several characters. I did enjoy that because it does, you know, the, all, all of the acting is terrible. Like, I'll fight oh. you on that, except, except for the woman, except for the woman and, and maybe the little boy, maybe the little boy. He, he does a pretty good job. But they do a, a pretty cool thing where 
you, you go into a movie with this traditional mindset that we've all been brainwashed to find and you're immediately trying to identify like the hero, the, you know, the final girl. So, and they sort of pepper the cast with these very traditional characters and then pull the rug out from under you in several instances. You know, Kat mentioned the character of Steven, who is a fucking asshole. You know, kudos to that guy. I, I, somehow he 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 got the intended emotions for me where I really hated that character and then was still a bad actor. So I, I don't know. But yeah, they do a great job with that character. And I mean, I, I'll admit, you know, the gore, it's it's super gross and gory uh, in a cool way. Uh, they almost spent more attention on legs that were going to be eaten than they did like the humans that were going to have to say words. This is the only thing this guy's ever directed that I looked him when I looked him up. His name's Andrew Vanden Houten, or Houten, and he's mainly a producer. He's produced hundreds of horror movies, which is pretty cool. So I was, you know, excited because, like I said, I hadn't seen this. I'd forgotten all about it. But he produced a lot of horror movies. If you look him up, Jug Face, uh, The Ranger, both sequels to this particular movie. And this was, I think, I'm sorry, his second feature. He has not directed anything since this. Um, and, and another reason that I wish that they had started with Ketchum's first book is the first book, Off Season, came out in 1980. And apparently it's also very gross and graphic. And the publishing company that put out the first book pulled all their support for it because people were up in arms about how fucked up it was. So you actually couldn't find the original novel off season until like 1999 when another publishing company picked up the rights and, and, and put it back out there. So, you know, for origin story purposes to kind of understand the dynamics between the feral people and, and how they got this far, I, I would have preferred that. You know, I, I didn't like the opening credits where suddenly, you know, I'm in a fucking college course and I need to, like, take all my notes to pass the test, you know, where they're trying to flash all these newspaper articles to, like, you know, quote unquote, catch you up. Um, so it's, you know, like, like Dave said, it, it almost it's like right on the cusp of just being this classic horror film. But just some somewhere along the way, it, it missed the mark. The intro is a very traditional thing to do all the old newspaper headlines from like the early 1900s. That's done in lots of movies. I kind of like the tradition of that. And it's all real locations, real towns and Maine has a very realistic look to it. Uh, as far as the acting, I thought there were some pretty good performances. Anna Tesler, who plays Claire, the gal who's in the middle of a messy divorce and she's visiting with her young son. I thought she did a great job. She's, um, I can't really find a lot of other movies that she's been in. She's actually a photographer now out of New York City, specializes in family photography. I, I might get her on the show because I thought she did a terrific job. We're really glossing over the scene in which she receives what I call cannibalingus. Oh, boy. Yeah. No, I mean, don't get me That's wrong. That's a great term. Those, those scenes were great, but... Kat, what did you think about the cannibalingus scene? My new favorite word. Um, it was... I saw it about to happen, and I was like, what are they going to do down there? And then I immediately just tightened everything in my body. It kind of reminded me of the um, hair curler scene in uh, Sleepaway Camp where I immediately was like, get away from there. And the metal, t I, it, was, it was a lot. It made me feel some feelings. I think that was probably the scariest part for me. Well, I would like to defend this movie in a certain type of way and, and the setting, not of the movie, but the setting of the making of this movie. 
because around this time, I feel like horror had kind of taken a dip in popularity and uh, in the mainstream budgets had kind of disappeared. And I respect the independent directors like this that made these on dedication and love for the genre. Um, you can tell they're cheap, but you can also tell that a lot of work went into it. Um, the character development was bad. The acting was bad. But as far as horror goes, and as a horror purist, um, I could watch something that is very lowbrow. Uh, not that this was, but and just watch it for the gore and for the scenes like the cannibalingus. It's like so shocking. But I often think, and again, talking about the pick for the movie, a lot of people uh, comment or message us about, uh, I'm watching the movies that you guys watched this week. I'm psyched for this movie recommendation. Uh, I love the last one you did. Those kind of comments. Um, I would say for most mainstream viewers and even some horror viewers, this would be considered a stinker. Uh, you have to be uh, really like deep uh -huh. in the dirt. Uh -huh. You have to be down yeah. in there. Not like Greasy Strangler. What do you Not mean? like Greasy Strangler or Meet yeah, the Feebles. I'm the sure same, everybody loves I would say the same those. thing about oh that. Fight. So bad it's good was the name of that episode. <laughs> and the reason why is because you had to pick something that's bad. <laughs> but, you know, I'm, I'm giving it credit because it wasn't made because this movie was going to make a billion dollars and people saw dollar signs. It was made because people loved horror and uh you know i and the fact that the guy that directed this was mostly a producer what that generally means in the film world is that he's been coming out of pocket to pay for all these independent horror movies that you mentioned and i respect that too so this guy has my respect um i think that this one was just a little bit off the mark. It wasn't as horrendous as I thought it was when it turned on. <laughs> it redeemed itself partway through. But, yeah, I, I look at the production quality right away and I just dismiss a movie. I'm, I'm glad to like hear that song. because after, after your initial round of complaints to me, my, my favorite part of that whole thing was eventually Dave says, all right, I'll watch the rest. Guilty. <laughs> <laughs> film is it the internet told me it was a horror comedy i thought it was kind of funny but it didn't seem like it was funny on purpose um but i thought i liked this movie because it took a lot of like historical things and kind of put them into this horror movie i thought i'm very into like cryptids and like weird shit like that so the whole like wendigo thing really ground my gears in a good way 
but this movie's about a vet of an army veteran. I think it was that was it the Mexican American War? Does that sound right? Yes. Okay, cool. A war veteran from the Mexican American War is assigned to uh, this weird fort, Fort Spencer, where he investigates a missing person's kind of situation once this weird guy shows up all bloody outside of their window. Um, and then they all kind of discover that there's a vicious colonel running around doing some cannibalistic things. I thought it was interesting in that Guy Pierce is really cool and he's got that smolder that I really like. It was very memento-y the way he looked at me. Um, but I, I like. He didn't remember you. Huh? He didn't remember you. Listen, he definitely did. We made eye contact through the it screen. It just says cat. <laughs> he just wrote cat on his hand. Um, so, <laughs> um, my boyfriend loves the Donner Party, and I don't know why. He's read the book um, about it. I can't remember the name. Like a thousand times, and he's always bringing up the Donner Party. So when I was like, oh, we're watching cannibal movies this week. Did you want to watch some of them with me? He's like, oh, let me look. Which ones are you watching? Let me look it up. And then he saw this one. He's like, oh, fuck yeah, let's watch that one. It's basically about the Donner Party. I'm like, no, it's not. But then upon watching it, it had some very nice similarities. Um, it's very, it's it's that moment where, like we were talking about before earlier in the episode, like you put yourself into that situation. Like, what would you do if you were stranded, you know, in the Sierra Nevada mountains with nothing to eat except for like there was like oh we ate our belts and like twigs and roots and stuff like you know it's that moment where it's like empathy like putting yourself in there trying to figure out if you would eat people how many people would you eat would you keep eating people would that ever would blood ever uh, suffice you know you just gotta keep going so I thought it was a good movie I watched the whole thing and paid attention the entire time which doesn't always happen for me wow so that was a big day. It was a big day. So, what cat you were saying about uh, it being listed as a horror comedy? Mm-hmm. I think that's probably because of like Robert Carlyle kept having these quips, and I, I don't know if they were just trying to like tie in his most memorable memorable performance from Train Spotting, but he was almost a little too quippy, and he he reminded me of Dracula as well. His transformation from like yeah. I'm a you know beat up guy who mm-hmm. needs help and they nurse him back to health or whatever, <laughs> which suspiciously does not take long. And, he, and then all of a sudden he's just this like Dracula character who's all sophisticated. And uh, I, I like the development of his character, even though there were those kind of what I felt unnecessary quips all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, it was weird because it, it had such a serious tone and, and normally you don't get much uh, in the whole Western. Uh, that's one thing we haven't really mentioned. It's straight up a Western. Yeah, I thought it was um, it was more Western-y than, than comedy. Yeah, a lot of the Western movies are are the spaghetti Western stuff. Uh, El Topo, Bone, Bone Tomahawk. All, a lot of the Westerns are very gory. So I thought this was very much just a typical kind of modern spaghetti Western. There was a little supernatural element with a Wendigo, which I, I dug. I love that there was uh, bear traps, and that was particularly one big bear, tra- bear trap. And I think there was a bear trap in Offspring, 
I just remember I, I watched yes. the movies all out of order, but Guy Pierce, I thought was good. There was one point where I was just like, eh, it's a little too much handsome going on here. <laughs> and I thought that their their suits, or whatever war they were from, if you look closely, they almost look like Adidas track suits that had been <laughs> modified. And there was a point at the end where uh, the main character, Guy Pierce's character, was wearing this like ragged oversized blue sweater and what looked to be adidas track pants and i was stoned watching this movie like what the fuck where the fuck am i right now what's going on <laughs> like what year is it uh did i miss some sort of time shift yeah, but it's it was just uh, he just movie. looked like he yeah he looked like he uh just came from abercrombie and abercrombie and fitch at one point I actually wondered about the sweater, too. It looked a little <laughs> modern. There are a couple continuity problems, I think, as far as this is supposed to be set in, like, 1907 or something. But I want to be clear, first off, we're talking about Ravenous from 1999, directed by Antonia Bird, not the yes. movie called Ravenous from, like, 2017 that's on Netflix, mm -mm. which is a great zombie movie, by the way. I think it's a French zombie movie called Ravenous. This is the much older movie called Ravenous. Uh, Antonia Bird, the director, also did uh, the rom-com Mad Love with Drew Barrymore and Chris O'Donnell. Also did a movie called Priest, which I'm pretty sure I saw a long time ago, like mid-late 90s. But I think the, the comedy, horror comedy label is interesting because I think that one thing this movie does that doesn't maybe work as much, like, I think that it wants to be a horror comedy at points. There's like... There's sort of little stabs at humor and that sort of vibe, but then it just forgets that vibe for long stretches. Like, the opening is kind of comedy, and it's showing the, the steak and the meat, and even the soundtrack is kind of comedy sometimes, and there's quips, but then it's not comedy. But then yeah. it is. It kind of goes back and forth. <laughs> um, I love this one. I think this is a very weird movie, and I remember the first time I saw this movie... It was shortly after it was released. I think I saw it right when it came out on DVD. And this being over 20 years ago now, or almost 20 years ago, the twist, there's a twist in this movie about halfway through. And I remember, I haven't seen so many twists by now, but back then, 99, 2000, I remember being shocked by the twist in this movie. I was like, oh my God, what's going on? And it stayed with me. I've never... I, I've never forgotten this movie just because of that twist. Um, I also think this is like, this is about coming to terms uh, with one's sexuality, I think. Because of the sweater? Well, we, we can get into it. I want <laughs> to get Kevin the in handsome. the mix, but I mean, I, I don't know what other interpretations there are to like everything that happens in this movie. Okay. Part of the, the week leading up to this episode, I spent really mad. Because I didn't really love Offspring. And then I remember seeing Ravenous back in the day, too. And I, I didn't really remember it all that much. So I watched it. And I fucking hated it. And then I was really mad. I was like, wow. I just, I just had to watch two really bad movies. Now I have to, like, be mad at my friends. And now I'm mad at myself. And I'm mad at fucking movies. Then I was like, you know what? You don't what? have to be mad, though. There's something... I mean, I'm exaggerating. Oh, yeah. You're... You know, oh, you don't, Dave? You don't have to be mad if you don't like... Wow, that's... I wasn't mad. Newsflash. Just because your feelings were hurt doesn't mean to I was me. mad. It doesn't hurt my feelings. <laughs> I was crying laughing, I don't have bro. To, I don't give a shit. So I watched Ew. it again because there is just something really, really off about this movie. 
and I wanted to watch it again to see, okay, can I can I look past this? And I I fucking loved it. Robert Carlyle alone, his performance alone, is worth sitting down and watching this movie. He's outstanding in it. Guy Pierce is fine. I read a lot of reviews like really praising Guy Pierce in this movie. He didn't have to do a whole lot. I think that this was just like the height of Guy Pierce's fame. So everyone was kind of trying to trying to ride that train. And I think there's a couple of things that are weird about this movie. One, Antonia Bird was the third director to work on it. So this movie was actually being directed by a guy named Milcho Menchevsky, who was fired because the studio didn't love the way that the movie was going. The studio tried to bring in this director called Raja Gosnell, which is super weird because all of his credits are like bad kids movies, like the Smurfs and shit. Well, the, the crew and the actors hated this director and actually did a mutiny. And Antonio Bird had just worked with Robert Carlyle. So the reason that she came on board is he actually went to the studio and said, I, I recommend her. So, one, you've got three different directors working on it. You're, you're bound to maybe affect the tone of the movie a little bit. The other thing is the soundtrack is so fucked up and weird. And we talked about... Like in Jaws, Dave mentioned that the soundtrack was bugging him because it was almost too, like, carnival-like. So every time that, like, there'd be, like, these slapstick, you know, weird sequences, like a chase scene where, like, you want to feel tense and they're playing, like, carnival music. And it's a really bizarre soundtrack. So I looked it up and there's two people that did, that worked on the music for this movie. One is a guy named Michael Nyman who's incredibly accomplished. A very accomplished composer, if you look at him. The other person is fucking Damon Albarn from Blur and the Gorillas. They had him come in and do a bunch of that weird music. So I was like, what? Um, so knowing a lot of this and going back in and watching the movie again, it is, it's really good. I appreciated the quirks a lot more. I actually liked Robert Carlyle's quips, Dave. Like, there's, there's a couple quotes that, that he throws out. I love at the end when Knox, who has been fairly useless the entire movie, is like, hey, what are you cooking? Can I help? And Carlisle just looks at him and says, perhaps later you can contribute. I mean, there's just some, some like real subtle <laughs> lines by him that I just loved. Um, so yeah, so I ended up actually, and Trent, unlike you, the twist did not stay with me, and I had my mind blown for a second time, which I really appreciated. Yeah, I, I had forgotten about the twist too, and I was completely surprised by it. He was licking me. He was <laughs> licking me. Uh, yeah, you know, I did. I liked the quips, but I did. I felt like it made the film uneven. Yes. So like by the, themselves, yeah. they were very clever. I felt like that the first time I watched it. It was like everything was kind of bugging me because I think my senses were being attacked in a way that they're not usually attacked in a horror movie with like Freddy Krueger-like one-liners, carnival music, weird chase scenes, um, mm-hmm. I mean, Robert Carlyle, yeah. the first time watching this, I was like, man, he is just like way too over the top. But then you watch it again and you really appreciate um, he does go from like 100% normal dude to like absolute fucking like maniac. I mean, it's it's a cool, it's a really, I don't know, it, it's it's a cool movie. It's definitely left of center for the horror genre. Yeah, Kevin, I forgot about the um, the directoral tumult and the turnover of having all these different people involved in different times. I think that probably has something to do with the very obvious tonal inconsistencies throughout the movie. I think of how many times I liked Robert Carlyle in movies. He's by far my favorite actor in Train Spotting and in 28 days or 28 weeks later. Yes. Yeah. 
his part oh, in that. Oh, that's who he He's was. The, the, yeah, the betrayer, that's... the coward. And uh, those are all three, like, some of my favorite performances. Um, and he's you don't see him that much um, anymore, at least. This was sort of his he heyday. Yeah, moment. he had done train spotting yeah. and uh, Full Monty. Didn't he do Full Monty? Was yeah, that one that? I wasn't so... He had, like, a moment... Yeah, he was. Well, it was, it was a big movie, though. He had kind of a moment in the sun, late 90s, early 2000s. This, I mean, this was actually a pretty legit cast. I mean... You had Guy Pierce, we've talked about, Robert Carlyle. You had David Arquette, kind of at the height David, of David yeah. Arquette popularity. <laughs> you had Jeremy Davies as Toffler, who was just one of those character actors that you recognize from 8 million things. Um, Jeffrey Desperate Jones. Housewives. Jeffrey What's that? Jones. Jeffrey Jones. I mean, you're talking Ferris Bueller, Beetlejuice. Uh, one of my favorite horror gems, The Devil's Advocate. I love that movie. Let me give you a little inside information about God. God likes to watch. He's a prankster. Think about it. He gives man instincts. He gives you this extraordinary gift, and then what does he do? I swear, for his own amusement, his own private cosmic gag reel. Oh, um, yeah. And then you had, you know, Neil McDonough playing Reich, who's literally been in every movie ever, ever made. I don't think you can make a movie without that guy at least walking behind someone on, who on screen. Who in their right mind, Kevin, could possibly deny the 20th century was entirely mine? All of it, Kevin! All of it. Mine. I was a little annoyed by the main character. Uh, I just wanted him to give in i was sick of his morals i was sick of his ethics yeah, about come, eating yeah. people it's like let's just win just beat you can beat this guy i just you know he won't come out of the closet i, I like yeah oh i see what you're saying see he won't he well, won't embrace thing, he won't embrace himself he wants to hide and and not be his true self and that's not helping the movement i'm i might agree with that if not for the way the movie starts because you know cat set the movie up but the reason that that Guy Pierce's character, Captain John Boyd, is moved to this weird Sierra Nevada mountain range outpost is because he was in the Mexican-American War and actually just completely gave up on his unit, laid down, pretended to be dead, ended up with a bunch of his dead, you know, Dudes. buddies on top of him, dripping blood into his mouth, uh, and then miraculously... Yeah. He found himself behind enemy lines and had this supposedly heroic takeover of some Mexican troops. So our military was basically like, well, we have to give you an award and we're going to move you because we can't kill you. He went to the Mexican-American War and he was a hero, but then they found out about the less, what they considered to be the less acceptable side of his exploits down there. And they sent him out to this outpost Think about it. Well, yeah, but yeah. I did drink other men's bodily fluid, but it that's was right. Blood. Oh, oh, oh! Just other men's bodily fluid is what invigorates him. I would count. I would count only pee his... and semen, uh. <laughs> and feces as well. I would count all three of those. But the blood, actually, I don't know. I'm not into any of these cultures uh, as as deeply immersed as I would like to be. Well, is, but, is um, semen cannibalism? I was wondering that, just kind of as an aside. Right. Whoa, 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 yeah. guys. Wow. Have I got news for you? <laughs> Guess I am a cannibal. Okay. Um, okay. Me too. <laughs> I, okay. All right. Next week. Are you saying... 
I'm sorry, are you saying that it's an actual plot point that he was gay or it's just an allegory? No, I think it's an a- for... obvious allegory. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I was nervous. I was like, did I just miss a whole thing? I thought and the whole I was movie is, is about the Robert Carlyle uh, character is trying to convince yes. him to embrace his true self and stop hiding mm-hmm. and oh, right. uh, be, be who he is. And who he is yeah. is eating a Wendigo. Other men. Yeah. yeah. And and the, if there's no better there's no better reveal of that than at the the very last at the scene. very end where where do they end up? I mean, they're in a lover's right, so- a lover's embrace. First of all, they're out at this outpost in the 1800s in the middle of California with all just a bunch of horny dudes. I mean, everything only points to one thing. I I just wanted to talk about the difference in nutritional value that uh they they showed that human <laughs> flesh. Yeah, yeah, go go ahead. Gave you I uh, had this incredible nutritional value, whereas though you've been stabbed five times, you're about to die, you're breathing your last breath, and a piece of this meat touches your lips, and you are almost immediately healed. So that that's a big part of this horror movie that could actually yes. have gone on to way bigger and better things in uh, like kind of like a dystopia horror kind of way because that shit would if that was real that would get really snowballed and out of control not to create the imagery of snowballing but yeah it's not just that they're the meat is the only thing available and they develop a taste for it it's not just that they're sadistic the eating the flesh of other men in this film actually gives you superpowers almost makes you like a wolverine when you're in the the grips of the effects of the flesh wounds heal immediately you can get shot as dave said you can also get stabbed and it gives you sort of like this superhuman power and uh one character robert carlyle's character revels in it the guy pierce character boyd is his name he shies away from it and then actually there are some other recruits along the way um who you mentioned what's his name? Jet the um, Ferris Bueller guy, Colonel Hart. Colonel Hart. Colonel Hart. Um, he he's kind of on the fence as well. He he kind of likes likes what he feels, but at the same time he's ashamed and he's embarrassed. And he doesn't really want to go through with it. He really struggles with his desire for the flesh as well. If this were real, people would be eating motherfuckers left and right. Are you kidding me? It is real. Like, as what soon are we as you, yeah, as soon <laughs> the as you Wendigo the rich, is a real yeah. thing. That's how, we, that's how we're going to cure yeah, COVID nineteen. Yeah, the rich are eating us. But in the old, like the you know the Native American lore, you know the Wendigo. Basically, what it is is that a, a human. So you admit that it's lore. No, there's truth in lore. Don't get me started on this. Okay, there's so the the men as if you eat someone else's flesh. You like inherit their spirit, and then that's what gives you the powers. And then you continuously hunger for more from there. So you have to keep, bit 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 bit. And that's where like the Donner Party comes into play, where there was a shitty, crazy guy in the Donner Party. I don't think he was in the military, but once things turned south, he was like, "Well, let's kill someone so we can all eat." And they're like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, bud! Why don't we take a beat and maybe..." wait for someone to die of natural causes and he's like no we gotta have a duel we gotta have like a weird lottery thing it was like very it was very much like the film what happened in the donner party where people were dropping whether it were from natural causes or 
hit on the head causes, and then their flesh was stripped from their body and consumed by the rest of the people. Yeah, the Donner Party was 1847, and Ravenous is said to take place between 1846 and 1848. So they were, they were doing some yeah. pretty obvious nods. Mm-hmm. Well, and that, that supernatural element sort of dovetails with the social commentary in my mind, because one of the long-time, long-standing stereotype cliches about homosexuality, and people maybe don't remember this quite as much now in the year 2020, but all through the 80s, especially with the AIDS crisis and through the 90s, one of the, one of the stereotypes is the idea of the voracious, unstoppable sexual appetite of the gay man. That almost, and there, there are a lot of racist tropes about that too, but that's sort of one of, one of the things that people believed and propagated in a lot of anti-gay propaganda was about this like unstoppable sexuality that they would never have enough and they're just all having sex constantly and have sex with you and your kids too and spread disease and all that stuff and I thought that that was you know very much sort of in keeping with this idea and this movie of the taste of the flesh taking over and creating this monster that can't stop I mean between what we've discovered about semen tonight and your argument here, at first when you said this whole gay uh, analogy or uh, allegory, I was kind of like, well, that's wild. That's pretty left field. Now I'm starting to uh, come around to it. I, <laughs> it sounds like it makes sense. Honestly, it, I never would have thought of that. And that's absolutely a super great point. So thank I'm you, Trent. I appreciate that. You're welcome. <laughs> oh, is Trent done? No, no, just get that was it. He dropped call the from mic. Drop. I got a call. <laughs> <laughs> got a call oh, from Tennessee. Trench is like, I guess I'm Daddy of the Week. Bye bye. Oh, wow. Oh, I did have we a Daddy of the Week pick. We have a Mommy of the Week. Um, but I thought, uh, what was his name? Right, the blonde, the blonde guy the from soldier. Ravenous. Yeah, right. Yeah, I love yeah, his name. He, he didn't have a shirt on in like the first like 15 minutes, and I was like. That was the daddy of the He's week. the one that's from uh, Desperate Housewives. The blonde guy? Yeah, you ever watched that? I didn't. That was, no. but maybe I will. It's compelling. Boyd agreed with you because he was next to that hard body in the um, tree fall, and he could not resist. Oh. I mean, he should have just, he should have ate his dick. It's so much less How work do we know if you think didn't? about it. From we a totally don't know. Non- we don't know he didn't. He ate his leg. He ate his leg. People always go for the meat and the leg. Yeah, they tend to, yeah. But if you're trying to be on the go, and you you have people hunting you down, you need to grab something quick. Just grab the dick. Mm-hmm. Eat That's the what dick, I've been saying. Crawl out of the hole. It's already packaged like some 7-Eleven roller food next to the hot dogs. If I saw that, I would probably just grab one and throw it in a yeah. sleeve and, and take it and eat it on my way to the yeah, studio or something. Jalapeno cheddar dick. Yeah. <laughs> this is the America that liberals want. There's some weeks that I go into the episode, you know, uh, and these movies are filled with hormones, and you know, there's boobs everywhere, and they're really gratuitous. And this week, I didn't think I was going into anything sexy coming here to do the podcast today. And it turns out, I'm feeling all kinds of different ways about this thing. And and Cat woke us up this morning with a lady boner texting us pictures of Lee Nelson. I know, what, what the hell is that? No, like a oh, non-horror yeah, daddy cat, of the week. Um, I'm you know, sorry. Cat's mind, cat's mind is always on the podcast, as you can tell from like her one 
uh, message response is a shirtless picture of a local news guy. Like, Listen, that was that was horror. Yeah, I consider that horror from an envy standpoint. I woke up. Here's the thing. I woke up at 5 a.m. because my bank was texting me, telling me that my account was overdrawn. Yeah, big news. I always know that happens. Like, but I was like, oh, maybe it's someone else. So I ticked my phone up and I saw. I was like, oh, Trump has COVID. Guess I'm awake now. And then <laughs> the Facebook scrolling began. And then I came across Daddy Lee Nelson, my like newsman from when I was a, a wee babe watching him from the beginning. And now he's got fucking usher cuts. He's ripped. He's holding a fucking football modeling for I didn't like think it Port was real. City. I, thought I didn't it was think totally it was either. A modeling contract. He, he, Caitlin worked at the same modeling agency that he just signed with. That's why. This was all an announcement that he's a model now. Oh, what? At, really? Like, 50 million years old. Wow. Yeah. He's doing great. He's killing it. Do you see wow. that? The abs? That's. I'm just saying, I, I thought that if anyone would appreciate what I found at 7 a.m. in the morning, it would be you guys. But... Boyd would have appreciated it. You're like Guy Pierce having that fantasy about David Arquette. And he's staring at him outside the window. And he starts drooling, thinking about it. He could get a hold of that guy. You know, it reminded me both both you looking at the newscaster and Boyd staring longingly at David Arquette and thinking of what he would do to him. Both kind of reminded me of the old cartoon where the two guys stranded on the desert island, and the one guy is looking at the <laughs> other guy and he turns into a sausage or a turkey leg. Or yeah, whatever. I like that. Eating. That's kind of was ravenous was to me. When I saw that picture this morning when I first woke up of Lee Nelson's ripped, tanned torso, the first thing that went through my mind was, I bet he's not very tender. Mm, yeah, tough, <laughs> tough meat. Yeah, tough the meat. The Army Boys, isn't that what Boyd said? The Army Boys are, are too tough? Oh, is that- <laughs> as, yeah. a, as any good soldier should be. There it is. Oh, baby. I rest my case. 